you check out some music while you're sitting in the car. Take the key. Play the volume loud as you want to, but don't touch my levels now. K. Billy's super sounds of the 70s weekend just keeps on trucking. Why the need for so much graphic violence? Because it's so life. much fun, Jan. Get it. Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Adam's Top 10. Today, with me, I have two very special guests that are joining me all the way from Cambridge, Ontario. Their names are Chris and Jake. Say hello, Chris and Jake. Hey, hello. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate you uh, having us on the viewer's cut. Yeah. Well, and just so if anyone's asking, their full names are Jake Eagle, which is one <laughs> of the coolest coolest names I've ever heard. Yeah, that's And a Chris... Chris Montero, yeah. how are you guys doing today? What are what's going on in Cambridge? Well, uh, nothing. Just been watching Tarantino movies nonstop. Yeah, all month. <laughs> well, you spoiled it. I was gonna tell everyone what our topic was. Now everyone knows. But they also probably read the uh, the little snippet that's gonna be posted on uh, all of our platforms. So I guess it's not really a spoiler. But yes, Jake informed you all. We are talking Quentin Tarantino in all his glory. And I couldn't have, you know, <laughs> thought up two better people to talk Tarantino with. You guys are my Tarantino experts. Chris actually introduced me to Quentin Tarantino in film school, where we met each other in 2010. I oh, believe I did. it was, I believe it was Reservoir Dogs, because I don't think I, I'd heard of Quentin Tarantino. I don't think I ever saw a movie, movie beginning to end. And uh, I know you're a huge fan of Reservoir Dogs, and I believe we watched it in your dorm room. I. Think I'm I'm like ninety nine percent. I would have just got the Blu-ray with uh, Pulp Fiction because I remember watching Pulp Fiction a couple times on Blu-ray. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure we watched a lot of movies, and I I think that was one of them. So Chris and I, we both met in film school in 2010 in Thunder Bay, and Jake is a good friend of Chris, and that's how I met him through Chris. Uh, Two years later, I believe at the Dark Knight Rises. Is that correct, Eagle? That's it. The little indie film, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. That little small film. I think it did pretty well. <laughs> and uh, well, I was going to ask you, uh, Jake, do you remember the famous quote that I said to you? Because it obviously left a huge mark because we're still friends today. <laughs> yeah. I wow, mean, this is a huge quote here. I mean, anyone who knows you knows that, like, right away, you're just a different person. Like, you're just unique. So, yeah, I remember <laughs> as you were driving away from the theater, you brought out a bowl. And you had a cereal box, and you're like, oh, I brought my own milk and my own spoon for this. <laughs> you were very close, but I have to, I have to fact check you here. Okay. What I, oh, what shit. I said was, uh, you were along the, you were on the right track. I said I have a spoon, and I also brought a backup spoon just in case. That's oh what it was. God. Yeah, second spoon just in case you need it for your cereal. Yeah, Jesus Christ. So yes, that's uh, for me and Chris. Ten years of friendship, and about eight for me and Jake. But Jake, we basically, you know, lump Jake into our alumni for Confederation College. It's as if he just came to school with us because we're we're, we're just as close with him. Yeah. You know, our little group that we have from uh, from Confederation. So I was very happy that you guys agreed to do this, and uh, the the structure is basically going to be each of us sharing our own rankings. Each person's going to have their chance in the spotlight to share their top 10. We haven't shared them yet with each other, so we're this is going to be totally genuine. We haven't we have no idea. I think we we have been like teasing each other in our little chat we've had, but uh, nothing has been made official. And then we're just going to have a, a little open 
you know, discussion. Uh, Jake's got a few questions that he wants to ask us at the end of the show. And I believe, Jake, you have one question for us right now. Yeah, I just have a question for you, Adam, because I know... Oh, for me. Yeah, <laughs> I know for Chris and I, like like you said, we're, I guess, the Tarantino experts because we just love the guy and he's one of our favorite directors. But for you, do you like Quentin Tarantino and where would you rank him in your top directors? Oh, shit. Oh, man, oh, man. And oh, There's a reason why you didn't want to prep me for that question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, as you'll see later on in this, uh, in this episode, I'm going to be as critical as I can with my thoughts on Quentin Tarantino. I do believe he's a very good filmmaker. He's not one of my favorites and I wouldn't, I would say I do. I love some of his stuff and some of his stuff. I don't, like I said, I'm going to explain later, but I I can appreciate him. I, I think he is a... He's very important for the film industry. I think he uh, he still shoots on film. He's like a uh, uh, like a not a, like a founding father, but like he he's keeping a lot of the old Hollywood uh, still alive in this very you know digital world. I think, and I think you see that in his films. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was like a huge love letter, and I think that speaks volumes of of his perspective on making films. I, I and I love that about him. But at the same time, there are a lot of things that bug me about him in, in some of his movies. So to answer your question, I do really like a lot of his stuff. Some things I don't. I can appreciate him. And he just drives me crazy sometimes. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Was he like Kanye to you where like he drives you crazy as a person, but his movies are amazing? I mean, yes and no. I've watched interviews with him. I mean, he's a little charismatic and he can be cuckoo. I mean, he has some of the best interviews of all time. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't know him personally, so I have no idea. I'm sure he's a little bit cuckoo, but I mean, he's a genius. Oh, definitely. I can, I can sit here and say he is a genius for sure. He's a very good storyteller. He comes up with really cool, wacky, unique stories. He rewrites his own history. Which is really cool, and I, you know, I think he's very important. And I'll go see every one of his movies. I just don't know if I'm gonna love. Them. I never know what I'm getting myself into. But uh, in regards to what was the second? Did you have a second part to your question, or did I just ramble? Uh, just I guess where would you rank him among your top directors for you? Okay, yeah, sorry, yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, he he probably wouldn't be top five. I don't have a list prepared. No, I don't think he'd make the top five, and I maybe the top ten. I don't really know. He he has not an impact on me like a Spielberg, but Spielberg's definitely more universal. He's got definitely. more of a, you know, like Quentin Tarantino is a little bit has a he is a surprisingly Quentin Tarantino has a very big fan base, and he hits a lot of different demographics for sure. Surprisingly, you wouldn't think. But yeah, he's definitely not my top five, maybe top ten. But I'd have to give that more thought. Okay. He is kind of like uh, Kevin Smith in the sense of like there is like a fan base for him. But yeah, like it's way bigger. It's to the point where he can make a couple hundred million bucks on a movie. Yes, and but I mean, like when he when he makes a movie every few years, and when it comes out, like it's I mean, I, it doesn't make billions of dollars, but it's a hit for sure. Like a lot of people want to go see it, and like I don't know, like the people I talk to, everyone knows Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like, you think, oh, yeah, the Inglorious Bastards guy or, you know, the guy that killed Hitler and, and stuff like that. Like, that that's well, just Pulp that's fiction. what he's known for. He's, he's very popular. And, yeah, and, and what I like, too, just before we jump in is I, I like his his jump into the world of film. Like, he did it the right way. He, he, he got an opportunity. He made a really good film. I believe his first film was Burned, I, I, like, the, the film reel. Is that a true story, Chris? Yeah, it uh, burned up in a fire. I don't know the exact details, but he shot it over, like, 
a year or two, like they always do, kind of like how Christopher Nolan did the same thing with his first movie. And yeah, um, yeah it burned up in a fire at like a storage unit or something Damn. like that. I don't know where, yeah. it, but it did burn. I don't know that. Yeah, and so he, he jumped into the scene with this independent film. Reservoir Dogs was huge, and then Pulp Fiction was even bigger, and it got the attention of the Academy uh, of Motion Picture. He, he won an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. So I like his story, and... You know, and I like what he does with young filmmakers. I believe he had a huge impact on Eli Roth, getting his uh, foot in the door. So there's yeah. a lot I really do like about him, for sure. He still works a lot with him, too. Yes, and that's what I think he's going to do. I think he keeps saying that he's only going to make 10 films, and if he actually does you know, do that, I think he's going to spend the, the second part of his career helping young filmmakers. I think he's going to produce a lot. He might still write screenplays. He might just be done directing. I don't know if he's going to actually He's do kind that, of but... a bad producer. If you look at a lot of his producer credits, there's a few good <laughs> ones in there, but I would say it's mostly crap. Yeah, there's not too many memorable films. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a weird producer. For a guy who makes such great movies, he's, his producing credits yeah. are kind of lame. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see if the 10th film is his final film. I, I don't know. I could see him doing it, but I could also see him not doing it. So I have really no idea what he's going to do. But to, to answer your question uh, in that long-winded resp- response, I appreciate the hell out of him. He's very vital to the film industry, and I will go see every movie he makes. So we're going to jump right into our top tens. And Mr. Jake Eagle has asked or volunteered to go first. So I'm going to pass. Wait, I got a question before you go into your list. Oh God! Here we go. What was Chris your and his first? Questions. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, what was everyone's first Tarantino movie? Oh, so Galloway Years was Reservoir Dogs, right? I yeah, just like I was saying before, I believe Reservoir Dogs was the first. So for me, I actually got into Tarantino based off Robert Rodriguez, because when I was a kid, I used to love watching Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Yeah. And Tarantino was like a little cameo in there. Um, and then obviously watching Sin City and stuff, it just kind of led me to Tarantino movies. And the first one that I ever watched was Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay, when I was right probably on. Thirteen or something like that, and it was just like, what is this movie? It just made no sense to me. But it, I kind of just got drawn into the allure <laughs> after that. And then, uh, and then I think not too long after that, Inglorious Bastards was in, in the theaters. And oh, true, yeah, right on. That was like the one that really stuck with me. Oh, so that's why you love that movie, eh? I like that movie a lot too, but uh, I think it's going to be at different spots on our on each other's list. That's fair. What was your first uh, Tarantino film, Chris? It was Kill Bill Two. My uncle Kill gave Bill me, Two. I know my uncle used to give me like piles of burnt DVDs back in high school, being like, "Here's all the latest movies," and so one of them was one of them was Kill Bill Two. And uh, so I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, that was such an amazing movie. I got to see the first one. And then I kind of just, like, watched it. For, I, I, don't, I was pretty young at that point. Like, I was, like, early high school, like, grade 9. However, yeah. how old are you in grade yeah. 9? Like, 14, 15, yeah. something like that. And then mentioned to my uncle, a different uncle, I was like, oh, I watched Kill Bill 2. It was amazing. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you got to watch Res Dogs and Pulp Fiction. So then oh. I went to the DVD store, that old ancient store. The and, DVD uh, store. Yeah, I went to HMV <laughs> at the mall. And, like, that's how cool we were. Yeah. And I got two for $20 DVD selection of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And uh, on our way down to Florida and uh, on a road trip, I watched them both on a portable DVD player. And I was like, these are amazing. But I'm sure he'd be <laughs> horrified to know I watched his movie for the first time on a seven-inch portable DVD player. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever meet him, you have to tell him that story. Oh, definitely. When I was a kid, I remember my mom's boyfriend had both Kill Bill 1 and 2 on DVD. 
and it was like the the forbidden movies. Like I couldn't watch those ones because I was too young, right? I had no idea what was in what I was in for for those ones. Yeah, Django was the first one I saw in the theater. I didn't see Inglorious Bastards in the theater. Oh no! Oh man! Well, I if it came out in two thousand nine, I didn't even I hadn't even seen Reservoir Dogs yet. Oh, that's fair. fair. <laughs> okay, so we are going to dive right into our top ten rankings, and Mr. Jake Eagle has volunteered to go first. So I'm going to pass the baton to you, Jake. The floor is yours. Give us your list. Okay. So I'm going to start with number 10, which Please is do. obviously Death Proof. Um, Death Proof, the characters in this movie just aren't very interesting. Uh, there's really only two scenes that matter. There's the middle car crash scene and the end with the car chase. I mean, those scenes are spectacular and obviously gruesome and all the stuff that Tarantino does. But other than that... I think the movie itself is just intentionally done bad, and it doesn't really have much of substance for me. It's kind of just a weird, a weird offering from Tarantino. For number nine, I'm gonna go with Jackie Brown. And while this movie does have a great soundtrack and some good performances from Robert Forrester and Sam Jackson, there's just way too many dry spots in this movie. Uh, it does definitely doesn't warrant its almost three-hour runtime. And you know, not to mention that Robert De Niro is basically just a wasted actor in this movie. Uh, with a character that is so uninteresting so that's that's my number nine no what's so funny just quickly because i heard you say that to me like two weeks ago when yeah. we were talking about oh how far are you in the tarantino movies yeah. and you're like i hate de niro in this movie so i tried to listen to as many interviews and stuff as possible with tarantino and i listened to his charlie rose interview mm-hmm. for jackie brown yeah. and for like 10 minutes he goes on and on about how amazing de niro is as an actor <laughs> and all i could think of is jake being like de niro's such a waste in that movie why did we get him for that role it just makes sense so yeah just like i wanted to tell you that when i heard that yeah all right so number eight for me this might seem a little like it's very low on the list but number eight for me is reservoir dogs um what yeah for me in this movie the characters are good the dialogue is awesome it's fascinating it's everything that tarantino does well but i would just say that he did everything that he did in reservoir dogs he did better later in his career so that's why i have it here in the spot i mean visually the movie just looks bad like can we all just admit it? The, vis- the visuals in this movie aren't great um, and for me, the soundtrack was a big part of this list. So the soundtrack, and that's good with the super sounds of the seventies, but it's nothing spectacular. So, oh, wow. You really shot on that movie. I'm a little heartbroken. <laughs> Sorry guys. Uh, for me, number Cause seven. Cause you made it sound like, do you like it still as a movie? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, I like all these movies other than maybe death proof. So, okay. Like if I, I got to give the top 10, uh, Eagle, no, the, curious, the door, the like, door is uh, right behind you, Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> i knew it would be controversial so i know no well you just you were going hard on that movie i was like oh he sounds like he really doesn't like that movie no i mean look that movie sets the tone for what tarantino's career is and obviously i'm sitting here because i love tarantino so there's nothing bad about it it's just i think again what he did in that movie he did better later on no but like you said like death proof is like the one movie where you're like i wouldn't care to watch that ever no, again never. okay Cool. Just kind of, I guess, more or less that. So this was actually going to be in the number eight spot, but it moved up a little bit on the list after my last viewing. It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, you know, an all-star cast, a premise and a time period that's awesome, that's going to be perfect for Tarantino. You know, how could it not be great? And somehow we found a way to not make it amazing. But I think that there's a lot to love about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The performances from Leo and Brad Pitt are just unreal. And there's some big scenes uh, in the movie that just kind of make up for it's it's slower pace 
Uh, the one big thing I have with the big problem I have with it though is that if someone didn't know about the story of Sharon Tate, they'd be very confused watching that movie. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, that's going to lead me to number six, which is Kill Bill Volume One. Uh, the movie is a stark contrast from the Tarantino movies of the 90s. The visuals are just amazing. I think it's because of Robert Richardson as the cinematographer. But this is the start of, I think, a new era for Tarantino. And it's got a great blend of styles and genres. Um, it's clearly a passion child for Quentin. You know, like the at the beginning it says, brought to you by uh, Q and uh, you. So I think he spent a lot of time making this movie and it really shows. And obviously the soundtrack in it is wicked. Uh, number five for me is Hateful Eight. Uh, not Tarantino's most flashy movie, but the whodunit mystery style in this movie is awesome. It's I think it's just a better version of Reservoir Dogs to me, like the storyline. Um, the you know there's plenty of twists and turns, and there's brilliant performances from tons of Quentin Tarantino's regulars. Uh, you know character actors are just popping up all over this movie and making great roles, and every piece of dialogue in that movie means something. Um, number four for me is Pulp Fiction. Uh, this movie will go down in cinema history, regardless of where I put it. This is his most iconic movie. I'm putting it at number four, though, because for me, um, it's just not my favorite. But, I mean, the narrative structure in this movie has been copied so many times, but it's just never been matched. You know, the characters are probably Tarantino's brightest and most memorable, and it really just stands on its own in history. Uh, there's minor points for me deducted because there's a few really bummer scenes in the middle of the movie. Uh, so number three is Kill Bill Volume 2. I think that all the fusion of styles that began in the first one continue, and it's just an awesome finale of bloody revenge. There's moral dilemmas all throughout, well-written subplots, and it really just picks up where number one leaves off. But I'd say the biggest differentiator between number one and number two for me is the performance of David Carradine. I think he really makes that movie. So for me, number two is Django Unchained. So finally going full spaghetti western, Tarantino is just completely unleashed in this movie. Uh, he's obviously got an interesting story. It's just an epic movie, and I think it's the movie that really means a lot for pop, pop culture. Uh, the music is awesome. The performances are greater, especially in the later half of the movie. You know, it is a long movie, but I'd say it's pretty close to a masterpiece for me. And that leads me to number one, which is Inglorious Bastards. I mean, not only does Christoph Waltz deliver the greatest acting performance ever in a Tarantino movie, but the film just encapsulates everything that's brilliant about Tarantino. His script writing, the music choices, everything. I think that this is the movie where he does everything he does well and leaves out the corny corniness and other parts of movies that you know people maybe don't like as much if someone had never seen a tarantino movie and they asked me which one they have to watch i would say inglorious bastards that's true i get that the non-corniness side of it yeah eagle i just want to say that was beautiful i loved every second of that it was as if you were in front of like a class and you were reading like an essay <laughs> to the class it was so good that was so well written man excellent job i love that Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to be anything like that. Feel free to interrupt <laughs> any part of my list. I mostly wrote cl like I wrote like cliff notes about each movie and stuff like that. Take it away, take it away, Chris. All right. So I bent your rules a little bit, and instead of doing a top ten, I did a top twelve because I oh, count because I counted from dusk till dawn because from dusk till dawn he didn't technically direct it, but he produced it, wrote it, and stars in most of the movie. So I guarantee you, he like said to Robert Rodriguez at one point, like, yo, point Take the camera this way. Yeah, <laughs> point the camera this way. This is the shot. So I kind of count that as his movie because he's so heavily creatively involved. I also counted True Romance just because 
at first I wasn't going to include it, but I watched it. And then I was like, oh, this is super Tarantino. But like, this is literally just giving a Tarantino script to Tony Scott and he's filming exactly what it says on the page. Chris, you do know the segment's called Adam's Top 10, right? Well, I'm bending the rules. <laughs> in that, in that, then, like, I love True Romance. It's not on my list, but it would probably be somewhere near the top. And Dust Till Dawn, I'm not a huge fan of. It would be somewhere at the bottom. But please share us with us, Chris. Okay, first off, shout out to Four Rooms as well. Because Four Rooms... <laughs> oh my god, Chris! Because <laughs> <laughs> Four Rooms... It's Tarantino's segment is awesome, but it's basically just a scene... And uh, Robert Rodriguez's segment is also awesome. The other half of the movie sucks. What about right. Natural Born Killers? Are we going to include that too, Chris? You know what? I was debating it, but uh, <laughs> the reason why I didn't is because Tarantino is only credited with the story by credit and not by, with the screenplay credit. Uh. So I didn't even bother watching it. Um, if he had written the screenplay, then I would have watched it. Okay, number 12, Jackie Brown. That movie was so boring i jackie brown i will never watch again like the soundtrack is great but to jake's point de niro is just like doing nothing but smoking pot and sitting on a couch i listened to a bunch of interviews and qt said that like he knew he couldn't follow up pulp fiction with another movie that was basically like pulp fiction 2 so he said he purposely made like a slower paced movie to just be totally different from pulp so to that degree i get it but at the same time, I don't care for this movie. I think if it weren't for Sam Jackson, this movie would be almost unwatchable. He's like the only person I cared about throughout the whole movie in terms of like every scene he's in. Uh, but it is also the first Tarantino movie I would say that's actually shot well. Because the DP for his other movies, his uh, Pulp Fiction and um, Res Dogs, I didn't like that DP. I think he did a terrible job lighting-wise for Res Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Like, watching it now, I haven't seen, like, the whole Tarantino universe in, like, probably a couple years. So this is almost like my updated review of every movie, and I've never really noticed until now that Res Dogs and Pulp Fiction, the lighting is terrible. Yep. And, uh, like I said, Jackie Brown's his first, like, start at that. Okay, number 11, True Romance. I don't need to go too far into detail other than it's a super Tarantino movie. One of the few things I like in this movie is actually Elvis. Like, that's the only time Quentin Tarantino has an imaginary character talk to his main characters in one of his movies. And I thought that was an interesting idea that he should explore more. Also, Gary Oldman's amazing in that movie, but he's only in the movie for like 20 minutes. So, And then also, I would say my favorite, one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino monologues is in True Romance, though, which is the Sicilian monologue. I think that's one of his oh, best monologues. Yeah. But outside of that, I don't like the whole ending with the producer and the drug deal gone bad kind of thing. I think it gets really like, I don't know, cheesy and stupid. Number 10, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I hadn't seen it since the theater. And so I just watched it the other day. I just don't like Hollywood movies that are about Hollywood that like self-congratulate themselves. Like I'm down for movies like Tropic Thunder or something like that because it's poking fun of the industry. But obviously, like I don't doubt that Tarantino obviously loves these old movies, loves all this old Hollywood world. Like great for him. Obviously, the research is there. It's just like, what's the whole point of even having the Manson family in that movie? I don't know. I'm also a huge Manson family fan in the sense of like I'm a big true crime fan. And that's an amazing true crime story. The whole Manson saga. And so going into that movie, thinking I was about to watch the Quentin Tarantino version of Charles Manson and then getting what we got, which was basically Leo bitching about his career for two and a half hours. I was like, what 
did I just walk into? I thought I was walking into a Manson movie. It's not the worst movie in the world. Obviously, that's a very divisive film because if you go online, it, people either love this movie or hate this movie. The performances are amazing and everything like that, but I just don't care about movies about Hollywood. It's so boring. And then also making a chunk of it like a Western. Like he's basically just doing more Western stuff after coming off of Django and Hateful Eight. You're just like, we get it, man. On to the next one. Or like, try something different here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But everyone's amazing in that movie. That's going to be the choice where people listen to this and go, this guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, Hateful Eight. Kind of like what Jake said, like great like Res Dogs like, style follow-up. But uh, this one's just a little too long for me. Like Res Dogs, 90 minutes, perfect. Uh, this movie being like three hours long, like... <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted to say to you what you were saying your thing because you're like oh every piece of dialogue especially in the middle is great but this is where I would say everything after chapter four which is basically when the coffee gets poisoned yeah everything after that is amazing amazing but but that whole scene with the colonel and Sam Jackson talking to each other mm. what's the whole point of Bruce Dern's character in all if you cut out Bruce Dern from that movie it would make no difference yeah I guess I guess that we'll and, about this. Yeah, well, you could debate me now about it because I forget uh, what's it called. I I love Bruce Dern. He's amazing in the role for what it is. And I do think that Bruce Dern serves a por- purpose in that movie. I mean, like the movie really has a bunch of undertones about racism. Oh, it definitely does. No and question. That whole just scene back and forth, and you know the respect they share the battlefield, but he still hates him for his his feelings and things like that. I think it is pretty important for the movie. I feel like you could have pushed the being a part of a southern army onto Walton Goggins character because he was already kind of that character like I don't I can't fully recall if he said that he fought in the civil war yeah he was part of the he was part of the south yeah yeah so then like why not just take Bruce the the characteristics from Bruce Dern's character and merge them with Walton Goggins character yeah I guess I didn't think about it that way. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, but, I, I only say cut Bruce Dern because that you, scene goes on for so long. Yeah. And that's one of like the clear things mm-hmm. I saw during the movie where I was like, oh, I'd cut this shorter. Because yeah. then he talks to Channing Tatum later on in the movie for like two to five minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, here's all this stuff you could have cut basically just by cutting this character. Right. And I personally feel like it wouldn't change the movie overall. It would still roughly get to the same conclusion. If anything, it'd be better because he befriends Walton Goggins towards right. the end. And they kind of like come together to kill Daisy because she's killed everyone else kind of thing. Yeah, number number nine. Not my favorite. I would watch it again, though, before those other three movies. Jackie Brown, True Romance, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If I never see those movies again, I'm okay with that. Uh, number eight, Death Proof. So I also used to be like you, where I wasn't huge on Death Proof. But re-watching it this time around, I actually really enjoyed it. It's Tarantino's only movie that he's DP'd himself. And I thought he actually did a really good job. There's a lot of camera moves in that movie that are really good. A lot of his composition is very good in the movie. I love Kurt Russell's 1970 Chevy Nova from the first half of the movie. That That's my favorite of the two oh, yeah. cars. I'm the opposite of what you said. You say you didn't like the characters that much. I don't like the characters so much in the second half, like the Hollywood people, mm-hmm. because a lot of the dialogue leading up to it is kind of the same problem I have with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's just Hollywood people 
talking about Hollywood stuff. And I'm like, I don't care about this. Like, give me something better. The girls in the first half are talking about life stuff. They're talking about like doing like smoking weed and like hooking up with guys and the bar scene. Like they're just talking about like kind of everyday stuff. And then the movie people come in in the last act of the movie and just talk about movie stuff and then get into the awesome car chase. Do you hate the Fox Force 5 scene in Pulp Fiction then? No, I think that's, (laughs) I think that's Tarantino being, um... Like he's restraining himself a bit because I think I think that scene works for that movie and that character. Yeah. But um, when he goes on too long about cinema, and that's my gripe a little bit with Bastards as well. When I get to it, is that okay. he like literally cinema saves the world. Yeah. And uh, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but yeah, Death Proof overall. Kurt Russell is amazing. His intro scene or he's offering her a ride and she's like, "Well, when are we leaving?" And he's like, oh, "I'm not ready to go yet." And he's mm-hmm. drinking his. Uh, club soda and everything like that stuntman mike that's so good kurt russell yeah. is like perfection and, and kurt russell should also be in the last tarantino movie he's perfection in everything he does when he says this car is death proof but you got to be sitting in my seat like that's the, like the heart dropping moment that's, oh yeah it's so good awesome moment he's so good the car crash like you said middle of the movie is so insane like yeah that is uh editing at like full force like it, the edit is just so well done there real cars all that stuff well yeah. it's just how how they replay the crash four times but it's so seamless mm-hmm. and you're just like oh my god this is like amazing editing that i'm watching right here uh, do you guys know that Sylvester Stallone was offered it first and turned it down? <laughs> I did read that. I did read that. But you know what? Can you I, imagine Death Proof with Stallone? Hey. You wouldn't be able to understand after shit he said. You better be sitting in my seat. <laughs> hey, Rock. Yeah. He would, that would be so weird to hear him say it. But yeah, Death Proof theatrical cut. I like that one a lot. thought it was pretty good. All right. Number seven. From Dust Till Dawn. This is like oh, one God. of my... I know, I know. You you said you hate that movie. And maybe for the reason why you hate it, I love it. I think it's potentially Harvey Keitel's best role in a Tarantino movie. What? Ooh. Yeah. George Clooney's like awesome in the movie. It's like super genre. It's the first movie that opens with a classic Tarantino style scene. It's very similar to Inglorious Bastards where... The scene starts one way, and then it takes a twist halfway through. Mm-hmm. Like, when you find out that uh, QT and George Clooney are in there with the gun, yeah. and you're like, oh, shit, they're behind the shelf with the gun the whole time. And he's like, you got to get this motherfucker out of here. And, and it's mm-hmm. Michael Parks doing amazing Quentin Tarantino dialogue, just yep. being, like, driving around, talking about the robbery. Uh, is the name John Hawks is the, uh, the clerk at the bar that... Uh, talks with them as well like amazing actors in this opening scene the ending of the scene's amazing when they leave the bar and they blow it up and stuff like that yeah it's like classic like tarantino and but it's uh, all the cheese it's well it's 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 not all the cheese in the first half i would say it's all the cheese in, in the, the second sec- as oh, soon as sure. the vampires are introduced the movie takes like a huge left turn right <laughs> yeah and that's why I love that movie. And I think the vampires are super well done. I think the kills are awesome. Mm-hmm. I think also, to bring up Harvey Keitel again, I think that's one of Tarantino's grossest scenes is Harvey Keitel's death scene in that movie because he gets it like pretty rough. Yeah. The Selma Hayek dance scene is like so good. Also, From Dust Till Dawn is like Quentin Tarantino being a full like foot perv. With uh, <laughs> with Selma Hayek sticking his, uh, sticking her foot in his mouth while she pours a drink down it. Right. There's like so many. Uh, he plays a his character is like a creepy rapist type guy, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so he's like full on creeper in that movie. But overall, I love that movie. Cheech Marin plays like three or four characters in the film, <laughs> yeah. and he has that amazing pussy scene with um, 
when he introduces the bar, the titty twister. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the titty twister is potentially Tarantino's best location. Like, name another location that you can recall. Like, another set from a Tarantino is this, your, movie. Is this movie your number one, Chris? <laughs> no, this is number seven. Okay, wait. It's better than Big, da- Big Daddy's Plantation in Django and Jane. See, Big Daddy's Plantation, that's a, an amazing sequence, yeah. but there's nothing memorable about that set. Name name a set that is memorable. That's, like like that's a location. That location is pretty good. Um, but it just looks like every other lo- uh, plantation they go to in the movie. I guess so. Anyway, from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> We're getting <laughs> off track here. Uh, amazing Tarantino film. Like I said before, he basically did everything on this movie besides friggin' direct it. And we all know that he probably had a heavy hand in directing. So I love this movie. Number seven. Number six. Reservoir Dogs. That's also pretty low. What was it for you? Number eight? Eight. Okay, so that's pretty low. So it wasn't that low for me. I love well, Reservoir Dogs. What? <laughs> you have 12 movies. That's right. I do have 12. Yeah. That's true. So I guess in the equivalent. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, love Reservoir Dogs. Harvey Keitel is amazing in this movie. Uh, you can definitely tell it's like low budget just based on like the locations. And like I said, the lighting the lighting is so bad in that movie. The, because I looked into it and it's basically because... The Polish cinematographer he hired for that movie, who then shot Pulp Fiction and shot his segment of Four Rooms as well, uses a higher grade film. He like, do you remember ISO stuff at all from Film School Galloway? Yep. yep. So he shoots the average movie now that shoots on a digital camera shoots roughly around ISO 800. This guy shot Res Dogs and Pulp Fiction, as far as I could find out, at ISO 50. Because he wanted less grain on the film stock to make it look as sharp as possible. But they also fucked themselves over in that sense because they shot... I can't remember the exact name of it, but they tried to shoot in Super 35 mode, but with a non-Super 35 camera. So they're trying to replicate this like wider screen effect. And by doing so, they degraded the quality in, in post-processing. So if you watch Res Dogs on Blu-ray, if you notice it, it looks a little rough. In yeah, terms of a transfer. A little bit more than rough. It's because of that. So to get super nerdy on that. Okay. But uh, yeah, long story short, I hate the the lighting in that movie, but everything else script-wise is amazing. Oh, yeah. I love a tight 90-minute movie. I've seen so many movies in my life at this point that anything around 90 minutes that's also an amazing <laughs> movie is even better in my books. And uh, Harvey Keitel is amazing. Oh, the actors across the board are amazing. Uh, Steve Buscemi in particular. I wish he's yeah. been in another... Like, he's the waiter in Pulp Fiction for two seconds. But I wish he should also he's be in another Tarantino movie. <laughs> because he would be sick in the last Tarantino movie. Him and Michael Madsen make that movie. I don't know what else to say. Other than, like, everything Jake said, it's so hard to follow. You, what you said is, like, perfect for almost every movie. Next one, number five. So this is my controversial one. I know you're going to hate this. Inglorious Bastards is number five for That's me. Cool. Yeah, I... Also love the, I, I love all these movies and I love this movie as well. It's an amazing movie. I think it's his best looking movie. Like like what you said, I think it's his most successful movie for sure. Like yeah. like anyone who's not familiar with Tarantino, that's probably a good one to introduce them yeah. to because it's the most like a normal movie than his it's like other a single, ones. like when a musician releases an album. Yeah, you can like all the indie cuts, but like that's he like doesn't the have as much cheesiness like you guys said, or like winking at the camera kind of genre stuff yeah. going on in that movie. Yeah, but uh, it's still an amazing film. I love Tarantino, but like when he talks so much about movies, like he goes on that whole twenty minute scene or whatever it is with uh, Shoshana. 
mm-hmm. and Zoller outside of the cinema. They yeah. go on and on about all these old German directors and how amazing these old German films or whatever and French films are. Right. And and then they meet each in the very next scene, they meet each other again in the uh, bar or the cafe. Mm-hmm. And they're basically doing the exact same thing. But then she finds out he's famous during that scene. Yeah. So I think they should have combined those that those two scenes and just made it one like twenty minute scene doing the same thing. Talk about your movies, reveal that he's famous, move on to the next. But having thing. that one extra scene, I think, helps with the desperation at the end when he just like is so sick of her. I like, I, I still so buy the desperation because he's just a creeper. He's just like a he's a soldier who thinks he can get. He just wants what he can't get. Right, right. And and I don't think you need because by the time you add up the runtime to both of those scenes, it's like. Uh, probably close to half an hour there's and not many scenes in that movie but i, I think, know there is not a lot of scenes in most of his movies yeah. when you really think about it but i think that movie has probably in my opinion two of his best scenes like two top five scenes i would think i think the inglorious bastards opening scene is probably if not debatably his best written scene yeah. period and the one in the bar when they're all the bar it. scene is also yeah. amazing i love the reveals of that scene like when you like find out the guy sitting around the corner with his boot beer and stuff oh, like so that good. It's it's so good, and uh, the German three is uh, like such a great reveal as well. Yeah. Uh, I love Hugo Stiglitz as a character. He's like one of my faves, and I just love him in that scene. Mm-hmm. Fassbender is great in that scene as well. Eli Roth's good in that movie. Yo, Eli Roth. Okay, Eli Roth is a better actor than Quentin Tarantino because Quentin Tarantino always <laughs> puts himself in his movies, and I think uh, Eli Roth is a better actor yeah. than Quentin Tarantino is. Because he has that role in Death Proof where he plays like the guy who wants to get with the first set of girls. Yeah, the weirdo. Uh, and then and then he's the bear Jew and uh, Inglorious Bastards, and he does pretty great there. Yeah. So yeah, overall I love Bastards. I love Brad Pitt with Tarantino. I think that's a great pairing. Um, Christoph Waltz is obviously amazing in that movie as well. So Tarantino is very secretive about if he uses CGI or not, and that's one of the few Tarantino movies you can watch, and it's very clear. There's one CGI thing in that movie. Do you know what it is? Hitler's face off? No, no, that's makeup. That's like a doll (laughs) that they shot. It's the cows in the opening scene. Oh, really? When they pull up to the farm, the cows, you're going to go back and look at this now, are CGI cows. But I will say one of the best Tarantino shots of all time is when the movie theater's burning and the smoke is projecting. And her face is on the smoke? Her laughing, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty sick uh, shot. Great movie overall. Number five for me just because... those two scenes in the middle really slowed it down for me. And, um, yeah, the whole, like, cinema saving the world thing was a little, like, on the nose. Like, oh, you love movies so much, blah, 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 kind of thing, right? Number four. <laughs> Sorry. It's Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, I obviously love this movie. The first opening scene in black and white is, like, beautiful. That opening shot of her on the floor, and you're like, whoa, like, what an opening of a movie. Yeah. And then the second scene, right after the credits... It's her fighting uh, Vivica, or is it Vivica A. Fox. Fox. Yeah. I can't remember her character name. Is Copperhead or something like that? Is her uh, co- is her assassin code Black name? Mamba. Yeah, yeah, because she wanted yeah. to be Black Mamba, but I believe she's Copperhead. Right. And yeah, the second scene in the whole movie is it's her intense. fighting her, and you're like, "What? This yeah. movie's amazing!" <laughs> and uh, it just keeps going. No, for me, after watching Jackie Brown and then going into Kill Bill, I'm like, is this even the same guy who made this movie? I know. Yeah, it's so good. It's like such a step up. It's like he was just like, oh, this is how you make a movie. Well, he also, this is the first movie that Bob Richardson shot for him, and um, you can clearly tell the difference. But yeah, he's a uh, Kill Bill cinematography is amazing. Oh, I love the when he's wiping the blood off her face at the very beginning of the movie, and his name... uh, Do you find me sadistic? 
it says Bill on the handkerchief that he's wiping her oh, with. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, oh, what a great touch to an opening scene. Yeah. Uh, love the fonts. I'm a huge font fan. And I think his fonts are amazing in Kill Bill. For sure. <laughs> oh, this is also the first movie out of his movies up until then where he started repurposing old soundtracks from old Western movies. Mm-hmm. And I think... I don't know if I have a specific favorite soundtrack of his. I know you do, Jake. Yeah. But this is probably one of my favorite ones is both the Kill Bill movies because he uses the Western themes amazing. And he's also using some old Kung Fu ones as well. And the RZA is doing the other stuff basically. And it's so good. It's an amazing blend of styles. Like who does a spaghetti Western song over an anime, a Japanese anime? Yes. And it works so well. (laughs) That's like one of my favorite songs. Yeah. I love when she goes to uh, see Hattori Hanzo in the bar. That whole scene is great. Mm-hmm. But then after that, there's like a little bit of a lull. And it's in like every Tarantino movie. There's always like a 10, 20 minute lull somewhere in the middle. Right. Uh, that uh, you kind of like are like, okay, come on, pick up the pace. And then it, and then his third act is always amazing. And also something I noticed to be like super nerdy about it. And I wonder if this breaks down to script pages as well. Is most of his third acts are 40 minutes long. <laughs> like the scene starts and it plays out for 40 minutes. Right. Like Kill Bill Volume 1, the the fight at the end of Kill Bill, that's a 40-minute sequence. The cinema scene at the end of Inglorious Bastards is a 40-minute sequence. Mm-hmm. The third act of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like once they come back from the plane, that's a whole that whole thing is roughly 40 minutes long. Right. So um it's I just thought that was an interesting correlation between all his movies that right. his his ending things are always roughly 40 minutes in length they play out very slowly and like he lets them breathe it's not like a superhero movie where it's like a five minute cgi filled fight and then we find out who wins at the end of that kind of thing yeah no one would accuse tarantino of uh doing too much editing all right so kill bill uh volume one that's um number four for me all right number three pulp fiction to be honest, I think I would have put Kill Bill above Pulp Fiction, but I thought you guys were going to make fun of me. <laughs> so I put Pulp Fiction at number three. I love Pulp Fiction. I think the lighting, like I said, is terrible. The guy who shot that movie, oh my God. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I make videos for a living, right? So I can't help but see some of these things when I watch movies. And yeah, like just that, the harsh lighting on everyone's face in that movie is like so off putting to me. Travolta's amazing in this movie. Really, the only off putting part about this movie is the Bruce Willis scenes where, again, same deal, uh, where he's in the cab. That cab scene's like five, ten minutes almost. And it's just him explaining what just happened. And then he goes and sees Honey Bunny right after that. And that's also a very boring scene because you're like, who is this chick? I know nothing about her other than that she likes Bruce Willis. there's two scenes in a row. It's like they go to bed and then they wake up and there's a whole other scene. Exactly. There's a whole other scene. (laughs) So I think they easily could have cut cut the taxi scene, get him into the hotel, into the motel right away. Figure out his watch is gone. (laughs) Exactly. I I easily think you could combine all three of those scenes. I I, I think you could. I think so. Uh, Because those are the scenes that slow the movie right down for me but then it, it again it picks right back up after that yeah cinematography wise it's pretty other than the lighting it's pretty nice he keeps the camera on uh, a steady cam a lot which is interesting because he uses a lot of handheld i didn't realize how much handheld is in reservoir dogs there's so much handheld if the camera's not on sticks it's being shot handheld i thought that was interesting uh, number two, Kill Bill Volume 2. I love Kill Bill Volume 2. I think uh, it is the perfect blend of Western and Kung Fu movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole sequence at Bud's trailer, like everything with Bud's trailer is amazing. 
I did write down, I hate the font of that movie. That's his worst <laughs> font of that movie. <laughs> but his titles are so good. Like the whole massacre at the Twin Pines uh, sequence, the whole black and white sequence of uh, her chatting with Bill outside the church and stuff like that is so good. That whole like first act of that movie is almost all in black and white. I love black and white. I love the training with Pai Mei. So the good. training with Pai Mei. So many zooms, zooming in and out yeah. all the time. It's amazing. I love Pai Mei. And the reveal of um, Elle's eye being taken by, by Pai, Pai Mei, Mei is so good. So like good. So many good Pai Mei reveals. Because then the end, she is also reveals that Pai Mei taught her the heart exploding yeah. trick. And you're like, Pai Mei is such a badass, dude. Yeah. And he's such a badass trainer. I love Pai Mei. I, that whole, everything about Pai Mei in that movie is great. So good. I love Michael Parks in that movie as well as Esteban. <laughs> but like sure. his scene is kind of useless because he... It's kind of like a five, ten minute scene of just him telling the bride where Bill is. Yeah. But it's like Tarantino just wanted Michael Parks to have a weird. Yeah. Like, but Michael Parks is already the cop in that movie. So it's funny that he's this (laughs) Spanish guy as well. I love once he works with Robert Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. he has actors duplicate roles sometimes. Usually it's Michael Parks or something like that. They play like two random roles, something like that. Kind of like how Cheech played like three or four roles in From Dust Till Dawn. They just hide it with makeup, basically. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Kill Bill 2, amazing movie. His chapter titles are amazing. Pi May is amazing. Amazing soundtrack, the whole trailer sequence, and taking her other eye is amazing. Um, oh, and then like you said, David Carradine like, is like, David Carradine, if he was still alive today, it would be like, fuck, he needs to be in the last Tarantino movie. For sure. He like, is so good with his dialogue. He only has a couple scenes, but it's just... It, it just works. But the, his whole Kill Bill sequence, like, uh, sorry, the whole wedding uh, chapel sequence that he has at the beginning of Kill Bill 2, mm-hmm. those, like, opening scenes where he's talking to the bride outside the church and he brings his, like, flute to the church and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. But it's so epic and so good. He's just sitting outside playing it and stuff. And she comes up and they have that great dialogue. Her eyes are uh, highlighted blue and the black and white photography and stuff like that. Yeah, and Uma Thurman, like, obviously she's the lead role, but she's so good in that movie. Oh, Uma's amazing in that movie. Uma Michael makes Madsen. those movies. Like Michael Madsen is amazing as Bud. The reveal in the I love in the in the trailer sequence when um, the her and Elle are fighting. Bud is dead already. Mm-hmm. And earlier on in the movie, he tells David Carradine that he sold his Hanzo sword yeah. as like a fuck you, right? Because then it's revealed that he actually still, still has, has it. it in the closet. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's yeah. pure genius. All right. And now I guess if you've narrowed it down at this point, my number one movie is Django. I fucking love Django. I think it's like to what you what you said. I think it's a masterpiece. Like everyone is just Tarantino is just firing on all cylinders. Like yeah. the dialogue's amazing, the action's amazing, like the cast. It's probably his best cast pound for pound if you really think about Ooh, it. Like I don't know. yeah, it's tough. Uh, Once Hollywood's upon a time in Hollywood's crazy. pretty close, yeah. and Hateful Eight is also pretty close. Yeah, but Django, like he literally has no the tiniest role in that movie is played by like someone famous. <laughs> it's true. so good. Like, <laughs> every famous person that has ever been in a Tarantino movie for the most part is in Django. Yeah. And like he also that again he has uh, James Raymar play two roles in the movie. He has uh Leo in that movie is like unbelievable he's so good in that movie the zooms are on full force. Can I just say like I think my favorite shot in any Tarantino movie is in Django. Which one? When he's wearing all blue and he goes That's up to, a the, great shot. to the Brittle Brothers yeah. and the Corsa starts playing. Yeah. Oh, it's just... Oh, it gives me goosebumps. I love that. I love the whole sequence with the Rick Ross song. It's like yeah. so badass. Yeah. Uh, 
Jamie Foxx is amazing throughout. Everyone's amazing throughout that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. What's it called? Um, what's his name? Don from Miami Vice. Oh yeah, yeah. Don uh, Johnson. Uh, Don Johnson. Don yeah. Johnson is amazing as Big yeah. Daddy in that yeah. movie. The kills are amazing. It was really rough watching the uh, all the slavery stuff this time around. Like sure. I think it's just because it's been in the news a lot, obviously over the last couple of months, that uh, you watch the slavery stuff and that was pretty uh, pretty harsh. But uh, what's it called? Like the whole scene. Christoph Waltz is like amazing and he's a good guy like he's such a charming good guy the whole sequence with him shooting the sheriff in the town when he first gets Django uh <laughs> as his slave is like so yeah. good like that's every such a scene Tarantino is, scene it's awesome every scene is perfect in that movie in my mind like there's like how I was bitching about certain scenes in other movies for me there's like no bad scene in this movie every scene is perfection the production design is like super in your face and like lots of burgundies lots of reds lots of oranges yeah um yeah love Django. i think it's oh sam uh sam jackson is Ridiculous. potentially an even worse bad guy than leo yeah. okay who do you think's the worst bad guy this is a question for both of you mm-hmm. leo and Django unchained or hans landa and bastards now who's a better actor who's a better bad guy like better who's a, guy. who's a worse person <laughs> A slave, a slave owner that induces Jesus. fights with the slaves, <laughs> or a Nazi. <laughs> they're both. Pretty bad. They're both they're pretty bad. shitty. Can I just say they're both bad? I don't want to pick between them. <laughs> yeah. I I think Leo is a worse person than Hans Landa because Hans Landa, the only person he kills is the actor Bridget von Hammerschmark. Well, he has other people killed, but he has other people. But they just get shot. But when Leo kills people in that movie, Leo get Leo sends dogs on people. Yeah, he makes the two black people fight each other sure. to the death. Yeah, and he's he pulls out the uh, hammer or the uh, saw and is like sawing skulls open at the dinner table. Like he he's such a psycho in that movie, and it's so good. He plays it so well. Yeah. He's definitely it, banging his sister in that movie, yeah. just the way they talk to each other. And it's exactly what you didn't expect DiCaprio to play. And that's what I think it was, too, because you were a huge DiCaprio fan, Galloway, and I know I wasn't I have big lots on him. to say. I'm just waiting. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll sum it up here in saying that like Sam Jackson is an amazing uh, in that movie. Walton Goggins is amazing. Uh, Tarantino, like, uh, what's it called? He brings in Michael Parks to play that tiny little role. Uh, um, and then they get killed by Django and what's it called? Yeah. Oh, that scene I, to me is weird though. Why is that scene weird? It's just like, I guess I, he wants more revenge on white people, but it's like, you could have just let those guys go or whatever. Or like, it's just a weird, I, I agree with you. It is a bit of a weird, if anything, that's where the movie lulls is when mm-hmm. after Leo dies and then you have that massive shootout yeah. and then we kind of stall for a little bit to kind of like, okay, let's move Django. Let's like move the puzzle pieces around a bit. Let's mm-hmm. get Django over here. Let's get these guys over here and then let's bring them back in for a giant like finale basically. Yeah. So yeah, that's my rant, I guess. That's my top 12 Tarantino movies. It's very difficult to go third when you guys have talked so in depth on all these movies. So I'm really going to keep it uh, brief. I don't know nearly as much about Tarantino as you guys, so I don't want to pretend like I do. Uh, all I can really speak, obviously, is from my own experience with these films. So I'm going to jump right into number 10, The Hateful Eight. I've only seen it once, and I, I'm going to start actually by saying this. Nine of these 10 movies, basically number 10 through number two i believe every single tarantino movie from 10 to 2 should have been cut down i think they all have moments that are way too long all of them except for my number one so number 10 the hateful eight i think is his most pretentious film 
I felt it very, I, I felt it right at the beginning with that lingering opening shot that just didn't seem to never end. I don't know how long it actually is. Like it's be, it's a beautiful shot, but it just kind of prepared me for what I was getting into with this movie. I've only seen it once, so I can't, you know, I, I'm a very, you know, I believe that you have to watch movies twice before you can really have a, a good valid opinion. But based on my one time viewing, I didn't like it. The characters were interesting, but so many things carried on in the movie. I'm sure it is very well written, but it didn't keep my attention. And I, that's obviously very important in, in a movie when you're going to see it. There were a lot of characters, and I believe there are two cuts of this film. One is just under three hours, one is over. I think that's insane. <laughs> Three-hour movies are very tough. Even Avengers Endgame, and with all this shit going on in Endgame, I'm like, holy shit, three hours. And like, It Chapter 2, I feel like there's this thing going on where like three-hour movies are back, and it's insane. Like, yeah, three-hour movies are way too long, man. I think it's like a thing to be like, oh, here's more movie, which means you're getting more bang for your buck. But it's like, no, cut it down, man. No. So, again, I don't know the movie well enough to pick out points of where it could have been trimmed. Chris talked about a couple. And, and like, like Samuel Jackson, Kurt Russell, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, uh, Bruce Dern. Uh, I believe uh, Jennifer Jason Lee was in it, and she was nominated for an Academy Award. All these performances are top-notch. But put together as a film, it didn't keep my attention. When I think about Tarantino moments and memorable moments and like iconic moments, I don't turn to Hateful Eight. That's just me. I'm sure, Eagle, you love the movie. You could probably pick out a few for you. Just for me, I, I can't really think of any. There, again, Chris said it best. His third acts are always very strong. And the third act is good. But by the time I got to that point, I didn't really care. Very similar to Tenet. I just saw Tenet a few months ago. Oh, don't, don't spoilers. I know, no, no spoilers, but it was the same thing. By the third act, as, as good as it probably was, I, if I'm not invested I'm my and my heart's not in it, I, I just can't. I, I didn't care. I didn't care about any of these characters. So that's my Hateful Eight uh, rant. I'm sorry, Jake. That's okay. <laughs> no, I, to, I totally yeah. get it. It's not. It, I mean, that opening shot sets a pace that's so slow. I you like really the opening be shot because I like the Ennio score, but uh, I get what you See, mean. I by don't it. like the Ennio score. It's, I think it's the worst soundtrack he's done. Well, it's basically the same song repeated, but I li- I like the main theme that he made for that movie. It's okay, but I mean, as far as Tarantino films, that score is like I don't know. No, I agree. Level. I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. In in a vacuum, that shot is incredible, but for me, in the movie, I'm like, oh my god, and like I said. The most pretentious Quentin Tarantino film, in my opinion. I agree. All right. uh, number nine is Jackie Brown. I don't really want to talk about Jackie Brown because I think we're all on agreement. I don't mind Jackie Brown. It's fine. I can watch it. I agree with everything you said. I love Samuel Jackson in it. As, as iconic as he is in Pulp Fiction and all his great monologues and his great moments, I think he's totally underrated in Jackie Brown. He is terrifying. He is arguably better in so many ways and he's got more screen time i don't know the exact comparison for screen time but i just think he's fantastic i'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of michael keaton i like him in it the cast is good pam greer is fine uh in the lead role maybe not it's not one of his most memorable uh, protagonists but she's she's good robert forrester is fine and uh robert de niro again I agree with everything you said, but even Robert De Niro can turn nothing into at least something. He is that good of an actor that at least he was 
kind of entertaining. He had a couple moments, and I loved the sequence in the parking lot with Bridget Fonda. Yeah, that whole it's again. That's just a testament more to him as an actor. He's just he can take absolutely like I, I that character was very poorly written in Tarantino standards, and he made it watchable in my opinion. Like it just you know, and Bridget Fonda's fine. Uh, she's very similar to Sharon Tate in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She just didn't. Yeah, really she's fit. just there. She's, She's just there. And, uh, yeah, so Jackie Brown, you know, number nine. The big thing for me is Samuel Jackson, like you said, Chris. He he arguably saves that movie. He does. He's, his uh, monologue at the beginning I thought was awesome about and uh, Chris, the different And Chris, Tuc- Chris Tucker's scene is great, too. That Chris Tucker scene is, like, the Tarantino scene in that movie. Yeah, yes. that's probably the best yes. scene in that movie. Yes, it's fantastic. Uh, number eight is uh, Kill Bill Volume Two. What? <laughs> yes. Now I have to start by saying that Kill Bill is not my cup of tea. I can appreciate the films; they're very well made, and I'll explain it more when I get to Volume One in a little bit. But I don't know how it would have worked as one movie. But I just didn't need two movies of this. I think there. It, I, again. It just didn't do it for me. I think that I have two different run times that I got for volume two, but two hours and seven minutes and two hours and 17 minutes. I'm just like, oh my God, I don't like if you put them like together to 217. Yeah. And I'm just, I don't, the, the second one, I mean, again, third act. Great. David, David Carradine is his name, right? Yeah. Awesome. Like the third act is great, but there's just lots of stuff. I just didn't really care about. I'll get to volume one shortly, but I definitely like volume one better. Uh, but yeah. Kill Bill Volume Two, I can totally appreciate it. Just not for me. Not a huge fan of it. I've only, again, only, I've only seen it once. When did you see it recently? No, no. See, I only in this preparing for this, I only watched Kill Bill Volume One. Oh, I wonder if your opinion would change if you saw it now. I'd be, I'd be curious to give it another watch, but I just really, I, I mean, obviously the Volume One ends with a cliffhanger, and obviously you need to continue. It's kind of like Empire Strikes Back. You have to watch the next one for the resolution, but. I had no desire to put volume two on. Like, I know it's not resolved, but I'm kind of done. I, I don't think you needed five people to seek revenge on. I think you could should have taken the best ones, condensed a few things, cut a few scenes. I think you. I, I, I think it would have been a better I'm one movie. I'm blasphemy right now. That's all I'm hearing. I'm hearing blasphemy. I gotta disagree, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I just, again, I, it's, it's a common theme in all these Tarantino movies where he just overstays his welcome for me, and I don't... For you guys that love it, that's great, and you want more of it, that that's awesome. It's like these uh, Marvel movies where there's people that can't stand all these Marvel movies, but the people that love them want more and want more, and they want them to keep coming, and that's fine. Just for me, because I'm, assu- I'm assuming if there was a Kill Bill Volume 3, you guys would be super stoked and want to go see it. Oh, yeah. I'd yeah, be cu- so- a lot. Obviously, we would see it. I'd be curious to see if it was any good though i'm i'm i feel like he's waited too long for kill bill volume three and it's either going to be the best thing or the worst thing yeah yeah so yeah so once again sorry for upsetting you guys but just not my (laughs) (laughs) Uh, number where am i at here number seven is once upon a time in hollywood and yes as uh, chris mentioned earlier i am a huge dicaprio fan i also love brad pitt so this was uh, a match made in heaven i thought they were great I'd like to talk a little bit of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood after we're done, just like to wrap it up, because I think there's a lot to talk about. But again, way too it's long. It's probably his most talk about, like, the movie that you could talk about the most in the sense way, of, like, controversial. Way too long. Like, way too long. 
And I have a theory, and I, again, I, I you kind of touched on it, Chris. Like, if you're going to do the Manson thing, do the Manson thing. If you're not going to do it, don't do it in this small little weird sharing tape. Like, all her, you could literally remove her from this movie. And I A, I think it might be better. And I B, think so too. All the slow points in this movie are with her. And again, I love Margot Robbie. She's a fantastic actress. But I don't think the character was well written. And I, it, my theory that I think would have made the movie better, and this is just for me, is I would have liked if you cut all her stuff out, you make it about Brad Pitt and Leo. I mean, it, it's just like when you get De Niro and Pacino together in a movie. When you get them in a movie, put them on screen together. There weren't enough scenes of Brad Pitt and Leo. And I would have had a big mystery in this movie that we don't know who this neighbor is. And they talk about it a couple times throughout the movie. Like, oh, she t they talk about this young and up-and-coming up actress or whatever. We don't quite know what's going on. And then it's revealed in the third act that, oh, my God, Leo, uh, Rick Dalton lives next door to Sharon Tate. Oh, shit, it's the Manson murders. And then you just have this a similar third act. Now, me saying that cuts out the great scene that happens at the... Uh, Spot uh, Ranch. Yes, which is a great Tarantino scene. Oh, that's one of the wrong. best scenes in that movie. Don't it's, get yeah, me it's wrong. It's, it's, it's fantastic, for sure. But it, I don't think the, the structure of this movie worked. I think there was too much going on. I think he bit off more than he could chew. And I couldn't focus on... I, I, you just have all these things going on. Like, like you could actually make a case that Brad Pitt is the lead character in this film. And I don't yeah, think he was supposed so. to be. I don't think he was supposed to be. And I think I would have rather a Brad Pitt Leo... Uh, you know, lead with them and have your side character. Like, keep Kurt Russell, keep all your side characters. I just think the the Sharon Tate thing made it convoluted. And every time we went to her walking to the movie movies and watching her movies, as well of a, you know shots sequences as they are, it just I was just sitting in the theater bored. I'm like I I can't. And I I knew it coming in. Once I knew the runtime of two hours and forty minutes, I'm like, oh okay, so we're gonna get one of these things again. So. That's my thought with that. I, I think that I, I don't really like the direction you went with it. Again, there's a lot of great stuff in it. Music, set decoration, cinematography, performances, all great. But I, I just, again, I need more tunnel vision with Quentin Tarantino. I think there's just way more for me. Again, I'm only speaking for myself. Yeah, her role only really holds weight the first time you watch it because you're like, oh shit, she's going to get fucked up at some point. Yeah. The first time you see it. And then when it's revealed that she doesn't get killed it's a joyous occasion. on a second and third viewing you're like oh wow this character is super useless to this movie to yeah. galloway's point yeah and like yeah. if you didn't know who sharon tate was you'd be like what the hell yeah like that? what's the point of this yeah. character i agree with you i think keep the spawn ranch sequence but try and save the reveal as much as you can that sharon tate's the next yeah and i, until I, the I end. think i think that i mean there's what plenty of ways you could do it and i i love the idea of the end you just like, don't even have to acknowledge it just say hey no, i've got like a new split. neighbor and then and then have it have approached the same way. Like be like, Oh, I got a new neighbor, I haven't met them. Yeah. And then Jay Sebring comes and introduces himself and says, Hey, come meet mm -hmm. my neighbor, Sharon Tate. And yeah. it's like, What? It would yes. be like uh, I think it'd be a, great. It'd be like an M. Night Shyamalan twist. Yeah, it, that's exactly what it would be. It would like be an split. M. I think it would make the ending more effective because yeah. if you know the Manson story going in, especially I like know it pretty well. Mm -hmm. I was so I I liked the ending. Obviously, the finale is one of the highlights of that movie. But at the same time, when it was done, I was like, "What the fuck? That was useless." Like, like what was the whole point of the Mansons in that movie? For me, though, I would say that that is like the most well shot Tarantino movie. 
Uh, you're not wrong. I, I think you're pretty close. There's Lots another of aerial shot. There's another CG shot in that movie as well. Uh, the the airplane uh, near the beginning of the movie, the oh, Pan Am airplane, is I believe a CGI airplane. Isn't there an airplane in Kill Bill too? There is, but it's clearly like shot old school. Like it's a little model shot in front of like a fake oh, sky, yeah. Yeah. and you can tell that. But with uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's a CG plane. Weird. So yeah, that's 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 my Hollywood rant. <laughs> I, I was shockingly a little bored, which which was disappointing. So that's kind of where I'm like, again, I look at that, you should be able to trim 30 minutes off that movie, and that's not a good sign. Oh, and the, dia- the dialogue in that movie is such a low point for Tarantino. Yeah. Well, to- it's just all about Hollywood again and how, like, yeah. it's jerk off It's like, oh, remember when this happened on Bonanza? <laughs> it's but a it's real- like, yeah, who the fuck remembers Bonanza? It's a real, yeah. like, childhood n- nostalgia. Yes, game. it's that's super it nostalgia movie for him. I totally agree, 100%. Uh, number six for me is Death Proof. I believe this is right around the same spot. You guys both kind of put it. I, I had think. mine at number I had eight. Ten. Yeah, I had mine at eight, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was looking at Chris's list. I didn't even look at Jake's list. Sorry, yeah, I know. You put it at oh, ten. Oh, I guess mine's seven if you take out from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Death Proof for me, I agree with everything Jake said. But, again... That's the reason I liked it. I, I think I like the idea of going to the the uh, theater to see Quentin Tar- Quentin Tarantino having more fun. Kurt Russell Kurt Russell bumps this movie up. It's incredibly well shot. It's so nice that it's under two hours. That has a huge yes. That that plays a huge part for me because same all his movies are so long and I'm just like this is great. You can definitely still trim this movie for sure. I'm sure you could cut maybe 10-15 minutes of it. But Kurt Russell makes this movie. The I like all the girl actresses in it. Definitely the first group is arguably a little bit stronger, but I like uh, what's her name uh, Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson. Yeah, she's great, and they I liked like the kind of like uh, shift. Like he uh, Kurt Russell's like the ultimate man. He's alpha. You know, he's tough. He doesn't take shit, and he just totally gets his ass kicked from there. And it's fantastic. I think it's great. And the car chase scene is unbelievable. And uh, what's her name? The stunt double that was in Kill Bill, Zoe, Zoe Bell. Bell. Yeah, Zoe Bell. She's. I'm so glad that she had an opportunity to shine in an actual role, and she was fantastic in this. So I, what was I, great I, about that is uh, stuntman Mike gets killed by stuntman women or stunt woman. Yes, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. But again, this is all about expectations too. I went in with absolutely nothing, and I was entertained. Uh, I was impressed. Uh, one of the greatest lap dance. One of the best shot lap dances I think in the history of cinema. I agree. <laughs> like, of course, Tarantino makes that visually stunning. There's and so many uh, shots of girls' butts in that movie. Like, he's constantly shooting the butts of the girls and, yeah. um, and feet. And their feet. There's yeah. so many feet shots. And we, what we didn't talk about in Hollywood is how many feet shot he has, but they're all, like, dirty. It's almost like him, like, winking at the camera being like, oh, yeah, remember my feet shots? Yeah. Well, here's some dirty feet. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but so many feet shots in Death Proof, and so many shots of butts in Death Proof. Okay, so uh, number five, Kill Bill Volume One. Again, huge part for this is under two hours. Fantastic, and the choreography and the action and uh, Uma Thurman as uh, fuck. What I just drew a blank on her name. The Bride is fantastic. I like volume one more than volume two because it just gives me more what I want out of this movie. Cause again, like I said, I'm not a huge fan, but if I'm going in to watch this, I like more 
of like the like the third act and the and the first fight that you guys already talked about. Again, there's some spots that you could definitely trim, but there's definitely a lot of good stuff. I love the backstory of uh, Lucy Liu's character, the uh, the anime. Yeah, Unbel- like unbelievable. And again, that's I'm not even into that. Like I don't really care. But like when I, when I watch it, like I'm watching it. Like I, I just think it's so unique. And I agree with everything you guys said. And I think Volume One is better for me. I, I mean, you can argue which one's actually better. And yes, Volume Two completes the story. But I'd much rather watch Volume One over Volume Two. They're they're both amazing. Yeah. Uh, number four is Pulp Fiction. Very similar, I think. I think Eagle had number four, and Chris had number three. So I, again, I don't. We don't really need to talk about Pulp Fiction anymore. I, I agree with everything you guys said. Uh, you can definitely trim s- uh, some, uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes. You could easily trim off that movie. I think it's a little bit too long. But uh, John Travolta is great. Samuel Jackson's great. Bruce Willis is great. I, again, I, I, I agree. Right where you said you could cut that film, I, I think, uh, I think the film would benefit from that. But uh, it's keep just the watch, this... keep the watch monologue because that's yeah. such a good monologue. But cut that shit in the taxi and with the honey bunny or whatever. It's just is. this two and a half hours that like, uh, but I'm just I have all the run times written down. I'm like, oh, like just get take two thirty and get it down to two ten or just over two hours. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> uh, number three is Inglorious Bastards, and I think either Eagle or Chris said this uh, back at the beginning, and I have it written down, so I just want to say. I think it's his best script. I think it is his best script that he has written. It's unbelievably original. It was like it just his take on World War II and Hitler and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it introduced us to Christoph Waltz. I know he obviously did some stuff before, but I think this was his, uh, you know, jump into Hollywood. I, again, I don't know what he did before, but I didn't know him before this. And he, he was is, like, uh, he was like a TV actor, I think, on uh, like Austrian and German, like European TV. Oh, and okay. then he like he like Tarantino found him through an audition process, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So like he's he's fantastic. The opening scene's great. Again, you guys have already talked about all this stuff. I think you could trim 10, 15 minutes out of this movie. Third act's great, all the same. Now I wanted to get to my top two. And as you guys, you know, with process of elimination, we're left with Reservoir Dogs and Django Unchained. And I oh, just wow. want to Res Dogs is pretty high for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's it's uh, going to it's going to it's going to shock you. So number two is Django Unchained. Ooh. Oh whoa! And I agree with everything you guys said. Uh, I absolutely love this movie, but it is unbelievably way too long. We've had this discussion before. I, I cannot believe this movie is almost three hours long. It doesn't need to be. I I just watched it, so it's fresh in my mind. I thought of at least three scenes that you can cut or trim, and if it were if it was shorter, it would easily be number one. Performances are great, like you said, Chris. I'm a huge DiCaprio fan. I think this was a huge part in his uh, in his career to you know step back from the leading man role, and you know I think he took a huge pay cut. He was the supporting uh, character, and I guess there was like a a, a joke on set about uh, that he's not top build because he's always top build in everything he does, and they were razzing him the whole time and like making jokes about like getting the smaller trailer and all that stuff so it was very important for his career to prove that he can be a little bit more of a character actor is he fantastic in it yes is it one of the greatest performances of all time no but he is really good and i think he proved a lot with this well i think that's movie. a load of horse shit right there it's yeah. an amazing performance <laughs> no i totally agree i think he's fantastic in it and he's unbelievably uh sadistic and terrifying for many many scenes one of my favorite moments obviously the 
the the skull scene is is fantastic but i love the the dog when he uh releases the dogs on the the one slave and yeah, i love when he i love when he too. the <laughs> shot of him walking over is fantastic when he goes up and he, he kneels down beside him but when he goes over to Jamie Foxx and he's he's he starts playing with the horse like he's rubbing the horse's hair and shit and he's just staring at Jamie Foxx it's a beautiful shot you know looking down at him and he's just staring at him after like I'm like this is DiCaprio like we've never seen him no it's just gonna say and that scene is just like that's it's a like bone scene. chilling that scene yes. it's just insane yeah it's a super good scene because Christoph Waltz then stands up and tries to cut the tension yeah and then they're like nope sit down yeah. they're like oh shit yeah because like he, Jamie Foxx is so invested. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. here's the here's the problem. The you, we need to get this group of people to Candyland. Why does it take twenty freaking minutes to get them there? Walking and stopping and talking and walking. You needed that scene. Leave it alone. But you have like two or three stops where they just stop, they talk, and then they keep going. And like it, like it's just little things like that that drive me crazy. Like Chris was saying, lulls in in the movie in the structure. I I want to keep the 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 momentum going in these movies. And I, like I was saying to Jamie, when we were watching it, it just, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's boring. It's dull. And then it's back to amazing, amazing. And then, oh, and then the ending. And I, I've, I've told you guys this a million times. The movie should not have went on for 30 minutes after Christoph Waltz and, uh, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> when Leo and Christoph well, Waltz if anyone listens to this, I hope you almost have to put a spoiler alert at the beginning. But you, thing. amazing, amazing, uh, like gutsy uh, call, killing your two best characters in this movie, in my opinion, Christoph Waltz and, and Leo. You kill oh, them definitely. off within 30 seconds of each other, <laughs> and then you have this great action scene. Oh, the movie still has 20 or 25 minutes left. And I'm like, oh my god, like... And even I, 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 asked, I honestly asked Jamie's opinion. She's like, she's like, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know where this is going exactly. And again, you get stuff out of it, but Tarantino's scene was totally added in, as cool as it is. Totally breaks the structure of the movie. I don't, I don't know why the movie had to keep going. I think it should have ended 10, 15 minutes after. Let Jamie Fox have his moment and kill everyone, but he has his moment. Then we go back, he's a slave again, he has got to break out again, and then he goes back. And even the ending, I was saying to Jamie, like, just to show how Tarantino likes to linger on things. Like, he's just, he's on the horse, the horse starts playing, he spins around, he starts doing his thing with his feet. The movie just won't end. <laughs> like, there's so many moments. <laughs> the only, there's only one scene in Django that I think you could cut shorter, and it's the scene right after the giant shootout, where Sam Jackson's, like, explaining what they're going to do with him. And then they end up just selling them back into slave trade. Right. Yes. And because that was such a real thing that happened, I don't think you... you That's like the one scene I think you could cut. It's just yeah. that whole scene. Because just cut right to him being in the uh, slave cage the or whatever. Movie. Because like we get it. he They put him back into slavery. And that's like the that's what the whole movie 12 Years a Slave is about. About how awful it is to get put back into slavery. Right. So I, yeah, that, I agree with you. you. You could cut that scene and it would cut at least five to ten minutes, give or take. Yes, and I, I mean, you get him walking back. He goes, he goes to a, like a, a house or something. He, like it just keeps lingering. Like Tarantino he doesn't... He gets his stuff. He doesn't yeah. seem yeah. to... Like you're at a at the two hour and 20 minute, 30 minute mark of a movie and you're still lingering on things. And it's, it's, Hollywood is, is worse. I mean, but I, I just, I don't think this movie needed to be two hours and 45 minutes. And if it was trimmed down and condensed... Are, are, it would hands down be my favorite Jan or, uh, Tarantino film. I absolutely love it. Everything that's amazing in this movie is Tarantino at his absolute best. 
the one thing I didn't mention before about Django, but I think it's his funniest movie by far. Oh yeah, I wrote that down. Nice. Yeah, I think it also is like his most so funny movie, left. but I think so, material-wise, it's also his like darkest movie, right? Because there's so much slavery stuff in it. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to put in all this funny stuff oh, yeah, to mix it up. Otherwise, people just keep seeing the crazy ass slavery stuff, and you're like, yeah. "Oh, this is super depressing." The Marshall scene, like now get the Marshall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nobody bought an extra bag. Like, there's so many good scenes. Oh, that's Quentin. So okay, that's another note I have for Django is yeah. the guy's like, I all we all think the bag idea went really well. Yeah. Like, that's Tarantino <laughs> saying that, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's Tarantino's best role in a Tarantino movie. <laughs> Put, a bag on his head. <laughs> Put the bag on his head and be like, we all did pretty great. Like, he yeah. plays a funny, like, just side character. Yeah. Like, his role, I like his scene in Pulp Fiction, but, like, it's hard to not see Tarantino in Pulp Fiction. I think his best role for me is actually Death Proof <laughs> as the bartender. But he's in the background the whole time just being like, who's that? Who's that? Is this Stuntman Mike? Yeah, that's Stuntman, Stuntman Mike. Mike. He's a Stuntman. But that's what, where Tarantino's good is like just being in the background. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. His scene in Pulp Fiction is so cringy to me. Tarantino, oh, Tarantino scene? Yeah, it's like cringy. Like, Super cringy. Like you can tell he's not an actor and he's acting with like two great actors. Yeah. <laughs> But he always wanted to be an actor. If you listen to all this like interview stuff, he yeah. always he came at filmmaking because he wanted to be an actor. Yeah, and that's why he tries to put himself in so many of his movies. Like he said to, um, oh, what what role was it? Oh, I'll have to find it. He wanted to be a certain role in a movie, and he just couldn't play. Oh, he wanted to be the De Niro part in Jackie Brown, and he said he wasn't old enough to be the part, so that's why he got De Niro. <laughs> but imagine Quentin Tarantino. He didn't want to be in, in it, so I got this yeah. Robert De Niro guy to to cast. <laughs> well, he 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 said he was too young yeah. for the part, so he hired De Niro. But I think the original grab was um, the the original person was Stallone actually. Stallone oh. was supposed to be that role. Oh, God. And uh, what's it called? Uh, I can't remember why, but he turned it down, so they got De Niro. Weird. Stallone has made some interesting uh, career choices. He turned down two Tarantino movies, but he starred in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot and Ron Stone. <laughs> and uh, don't forget Spy Kids 3D. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, number two, Django Unchained. I love it. Just, I, I need to, you need to trim it down a little bit. I, I, but again, and I'm not a huge fan of Jamie Foxx normally, and I, I like him in the role of Samuel Jackson. Again, everything you guys said, I, th I think, I think Tarantino at his best, but my number one is Reservoir Dogs because I think it is the best paced film of his obviously it is his first I, I don't go into it expecting to, to look the nicest or be shot the nicest he was an independent filmmaker it's not supposed to look good we've all made films they're not there i mean I, I look at it and say this is a really well constructed film it's original for its style or for its subject matter essentially it's a robbery movie you don't actually see the robbery the characters are fantastic he takes something that could have very easily been boring and he makes it very intriguing and that's why I love it. I the the way I picked my list was what would be the if I had to put on a movie, what would be the order I'd put them in? This is pretty much the order I'd put them in. Just because I think Reservoir Dogs again, I like the nostalgia to it as well. I like that it's his, it was his first movie. It's what made him big. It's what made, got him recognized. And I just think it's a really entertaining movie. But no, it doesn't look the best. It doesn't it wasn't shot the best. But I mean, if Reservoir Dogs was his best shot movie, then he's been shooting like shit for the last uh whatever how many long it's been since 93 it's not the shooting the shooting's fine the, the composition's fine it's the lighting that bugs me because the shadows are so harsh on the face 
And generally when you're lighting faces, you want to light it with soft light to, you know, make the night, make the face look pretty. And really the only people you can light with harsh light is like models because models are so naturally pretty that harsh light looks fine. But, um, everyone's has so many harsh shadows on their face in that movie. And like I said, I'm a video, I make videos for a living. So watching it this time around, it really was bugging me. The composition's great. There's some amazing shots in that movie. There's lots of handheld. I, that was one of the first things I noticed was that like, there's so much handheld in this movie and Tarantino basically doesn't use handheld for the rest of his career outside of uh, Pulp Fiction with uh, the needle scene is handheld and that's it. One thing that's cool about that movie is like, yeah, for 90 minutes, you get so much character development where I feel like if he would have brought that script today to a network, they would be like, oh, hold on, we're going to make a five-part mini-series about this. We're going to make like a I think you could actually make about one about that. I haven't played the video game. They made a Reservoir Dogs video game, yeah. and in the video game, you actually do the heist. And I never played it, but I always heard it was a, a decent video game. And uh, one line that I love in that movie, I think it's one of Tarantino's most slick little lines, is when they're like, did you kill anyone? They're all talking about who they killed in the heist. He's like, just a few cops. He's like, oh, so no real people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just think about that. It, it's great. It was the first one I saw. I love it. And, uh, and yeah, I, I get, I mean, what's nice about this is it seems like all three of us have our own picks for different reasons that are more important to us. Jake, you mentioned, uh, music, uh, Chris, you mentioned, uh, the look and the, the lighting and, and the shooting and stuff like that. And apparently for me, it's just uh, movies that are short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you on movies that are short, though. Like, when you're like us, where you've seen so many goddamn movies at mm -hmm. this point by the yeah. time of your life, it, any movie that's over two hours for me at this point, it's like, you better be good, otherwise you're wasting my time. Yeah. Yes. So I agree with you, especially with a movie like Hollywood, where you're like, oh my god. But the, but the last 40 minutes is also the best part of the movie, so... That's, yes, that's and the hard that just part too. that just comes down to structure because I mean, like I said, in a vacuum, you can watch the last forty minutes and absolutely love it. Tarantino is full of that in all of his movies. He's always got amazing scenes, but to me, it's like I gotta get there. You gotta, you gotta, it's gotta be paced well to to reach that point and care about what's going on. And Django's the closest, and that's why it's number two. And like, it's all marginal. Like, Inglorious Bastards and Django to me are very close. It's not like they're astronomically different. Like a lot of these are Django are to me is one of those movies that I could throw on any time. So could like I? If you said right now, let's throw Django on. I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Sure. See, yeah. so so would I, but I'd be I'd have the fast forward button already for a few scenes. That and <laughs> no, that's I that's the I reason. Yes, I, would I say don't. I don't need to see them walking for twenty minutes to Candyland and stopping and talking and stopping and talking. I would say another disappointment with Django, even though Django's my favorite, the disappointment of. Um, I find Candyland isn't as uh, exciting of a location. Like they all kind of, they kind of build up Candyland throughout the movie. Like every slave knows about Candyland, this and that, blah blah blah. And then they get to Candyland, and it's just another plantation. It's just for how brutal Leo is. Oh, I, definitely, yeah. definitely is for that. But like, I don't know. I, ever since I watched, because I watched these movies sequentially, right? Like in terms of what year they were released. Mm -hmm. So I watched From Dusk Till Dawn pretty early on, and they have the titty twister bar. And ever since I saw From Dust Till Dawn, I was trying to compare yeah. that location for each movie. I was like, what's like the big standout location for this movie? Right. And to me, none of them just compared to Titty Twister. And like you have, like I said, you have so much buildup for Candyland. I like and the, then Candyland ends up being nothing. What about the Orenishi location? The yeah. House of Blues bar yeah. is pretty sweet. Yeah. But like outside of it being kind of a 
uh, Chinese bar, there's really like, like I love the Twitty Twister because you have that great Cheech Marin monologue out front. Like it's literally all dazzled up with like a half naked lady on the front with all the bright Vegas style lights. And then on the inside, like the reveal of it being uh, like vampire temple at the end is so awesome. And uh, just the interior of the bar looks great and how messed up that gets uh, when they start shooting all the vampires in it and stuff. Yeah. For me, like, um, the thing that makes Tarantino movies great is the way that he creates brilliant scenes within movies, right? Like, the scripts yeah. are obviously great and everything, but it's, like, those those scenes that start off mundane and then end brutally violent or, like, were the ones where you think they're going to go, like, the tension is rising and rising and rising, and then he subverts your expectations by not killing everybody in the room. Yeah. It's, like, those little scenes mixed with the soundtracks. That, the soundtracks are top-notch. yeah. So I think that um, that's really what makes a Tarantino movie unique. And also the fact that he uh, blends these different genres. Like, I mean, how many yes. big name act, big name directors are doing genre pieces? Where uh, like no spaghetti one. Westerns and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, like no one. Everyone's making like drama type movies. And he's, yeah, making like kung fu yeah. cowboy movies that he, are awesome. He's willing to kind of make fun of himself as a director, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's really no one else in Hollywood that's doing that type of stuff. Well, the whole feet thing, especially, like I said, in Hollywood, where it's like the feet are so dirty. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's like him being cheeky. Yeah. Like, yeah. He takes I, so many leaps of faith, right? Yeah. I do have a few questions, or three questions for you guys. Um, so, the three things that I found with all Tarantino movies, there's always bastard characters that are just like intimidating assholes um there's always big monologues uh big epic scenes and there's always an amazing soundtrack so in your opinion first of all uh adam who is the most intimidating tarantino character i i couldn't come up with just one i mean almost every movie has multiple intimidating characters because my second answer is going to have to do with leo as calvin candy i don't want to say the same thing twice even though i think he's very intimidating uh, Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards is very intimidating. I again want to quickly just mention uh, uh, Ordell from Jackie Brown. I think he's extremely intimidating. A little bit more so than Jules. It's Jules, right, in Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Yeah, Jules. Like the tiniest bit more. And again, it's the same thing where I don't want to, you know, keep. Everyone talks about Quentin Tarantino or uh, Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction. I just think he doesn't get enough love for Jackie Brown. It's not you know a, a talked about movie a lot for quentin tarantino and i just think he steals every scene he's in and he's incredibly intimidating i love when he kills robert de niro and all of his scenes the way he acts around all the other characters i just think he's extremely intimidating is he the most i really can't say that because there's a lot i just wanted to mention someone that might not be mentioned all right oh, that's fair so how about you, for you chris i would just say uh, leo like i said like literally in that movie he's like yeah sawing freaking skulls he's sending dogs on people he's making yeah. people fight to the death he's just like the most fucked up tarantino character in terms of everything he's he's definitely banging his sister yeah. because like just the way they interact with each other <laughs> yeah. so it's just uh, his teeth are so disgusting and yeah. like yeah just like with the flick of a wrist he's like sending people on mm-hmm. you kind of thing like yeah he's great hans Landa's pretty great too because i like how hans Landa comes into a scene pretending to be the nice guy neighbor almost yeah. and then all of a sudden it's revealed halfway through he's like i've actually this is turning yeah. around on you right now kind of yeah. thing like how when they like speaking, I love in Inglorious Bastards, the like switch. the switch, the language switch is yeah. so good. Cause you know, when you're watching a, a movie 
and they switch languages from like a foreign language to English, you're like, oh, they just switched to English because, you know, we're, we're Canadian and they got to talk in English. Otherwise people won't watch the movie, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I love how they switch to English as a plot device because they're like, they don't understand English in the mm-hmm. floor. So that's so good. I love that. Uh, yeah. Hans Lund, once he reveals that, yeah. that's a great uh, turnaround for that character. For me, Colonel Hans Landa is the number one most intimidating character for me because when he's in a scene and he just stares at someone for a second, yeah, your heart drops. You're like, oh yeah, my god, no. what's about to happen? I right? said the wrong thing. Yeah, <laughs> so just him. I mean, obviously the speech with the the cunning of a hawk versus the rat and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like comparing Jews to rats. Oh my god, like it's inter- or even his interrogation at the end of um, Bridget von Hammerschmidt. I like his laugh when he asks, like, oh, how did you break your leg? And she says, oh, mountain climbing. And he has, like, that odd laugh, and they're looking at him, like, why is he laughing weird? And you know why he's laughing weird? Because he's like, oh, I just caught you. The only thing that breaks is obviously the end when he's, like, super giddy about getting his deal done and everything. Yeah, that's a bingo. The intimidation kind of comes out of that. Yeah. Um, So number two, uh, what is your favorite monologue in a Tarantino movie, Adam? Uh, again, there are lots, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pull my Leonardo DiCaprio card one more time, and uh, I have to go with his monologue in Django Unchained. I just recently watched the movie, like I said before, and for a DiCaprio, as big of a DiCaprio fan as I am, I've seen pretty much everything he's been in. It is incredible, you know, just even from him sitting with Samuel Jackson in the scene prior when uh, Samuel Jackson mentions to him. And he's just, he almost doesn't believe it that someone has, you know, one up over him. And then his uh, uh, real, uh, you know, coming to terms with it. And then when he walks in that room, it's, I've never seen Leonardo DiCaprio like that. Like, he, he steals the movie when he comes in. I think it's around 45, 50 minutes in the movie. I don't know the exact time, but he definitely is a steal. Uh, he steals scenes a lot in this movie. But when he walks in with the bag, he pulls out the skull, and you guys all know the scene. And, it's one of Tarantino's best written scenes, and it's just incredible because just by based on the reactions from everyone that's you know he's got his assistant there, he's got Christoph Waltz, Jamie Fox, they're just staring at him, and I I guarantee you that a lot of it wasn't acting because I don't know if you guys know, but DiCaprio had a very tough time with the language in Django Unchained. He was struggling at the beginning, like Jamie Fox has told the story a million times, and Jamie Fox had to pull him aside and say, man, like. I forgot what his phrase was. He's like, it's just another Tuesday for us or something like that. He's like, we need this movie to be genuine. You have to go there. We, you have to be able to say this stuff. And I'm referring to like the N word and that kind of stuff. Like he, he just, he could, he couldn't go there. And then he showed up one day and he was Calvin Candy. And I, I think that is on full display in that scene. And then as everyone knows, he did cut his own hand on the, the, the glass and he kept going. Like at the the beginning of that scene, that's his actual blood hit, and he it, it's the best acting I've ever seen by DiCaprio. Like he's fantastic in Gilbert Grape, but just how he plays off of what happens, and he keeps going, and when she comes in, and he puts the blood all over, like it's it's an incredible scene. I think it's the best monologue because it's terrifying, and I, I just you know for for me for seeing DiCaprio like that, I'm just like yes, that's top notch. For sure, and he, I, I was nervous about him being in a Tarantino film. I'm like, is this gonna work? And it did, and he excelled very much. So that that's my number one. Well, he's great in Hollywood too. It's just like he is. He, he is very good in Hollywood too, but it's it's just a different performance. Yeah, yeah, it's different. So, yeah. Chris, for you, what is your favorite uh, monologue in a Tarantino film? I couldn't pinpoint my favorite, but I just wrote the ones that I like. Remember, like watching all Tarantino movies over the last month is. 
Sam Jackson's gun monologue at the beginning of Jackie Brown, I thought was really good. That was like one of the best parts. Like when I put Jackie Brown on for the, the like a, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and threw it on. And that monologue is one of the first things you hear in the movie. I was like, oh, maybe this movie's going to be better than I remembered. <laughs> and then it all goes downhill from there. Uh, what's it called? Like I said, True Romance, overall, I didn't like that movie that much. Like, if I never see True Romance again, it won't be the end of the world. But I do love the Sicilian monologue. Yeah. It's such a good monologue. I'll watch that over and over on YouTube all the time. But uh, what's it called? Yeah, that's such a great monologue. It's such, like, a great scene overall. Mm-hmm. And uh, But other than that, I don't care for the rest of that movie. And then... Um, I knew you. I figured you guys were gonna pick the Sam Jackson monologue from Pulp Fiction, so I picked um, the Watch monologue from Pulp Fiction. I love the Watch monologue. Oh, I think yeah. like I imagine a million theater kids have done that monologue in like theater school because sure. it's just so good. Like it's just like a nice little like it's such a perfect scene where it starts off like harrowing. Like this watch has been in your generation, and then the reveal of it being in the ass and right. stuff like that is so funny. And yeah, I just love that monologue. It's so good. For me, I mean, you could easily say the Pulp Fiction monologue, um, but really he's just reading a Bible verse. I mean, it's just the way he performs it. That's amazing. Yeah. But for me, and uh, you probably don't even remember this scene, Galilee, but in Hateful Eight, there's a, a monologue where Sam Jackson has the three suspected perpetrators against the wall. Yes, I love that scene. And Yeah, and he's deducing who poisoned the coffee. The Mexican yeah. thing? Yeah, that's such a great reveal. Yeah, when he's like, you would have seen there's a sign that said no dogs and no Mexicans. And he took that sign down because... She started letting in dogs. dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. I love uh, Damien Bashir in that movie. Yeah. It's one of the better parts of that movie, yeah. too. Like, what are you saying, Cabrón? That all that stuff is so good. He gets all three of them to break. Yeah, which is amazing. Like, well, the first time you watch that, you realize yeah. that all everyone's in on this thing. Because when the yeah. first time you watch that, you don't know who's in yeah, on no it. Idea. You figure it's just one person. There's so many twists, but then like pretty much minutes. everyone's in on it except for like two people. Yeah, there's so many twists within about five minutes in that, yeah. in that monologue. So that's why it, to me it's my favorite monologue in a Tarantino movie. That's a really good one. Yeah. That that is super good. And uh, so the third question is, uh, Galilee, which soundtrack is your favorite of any Tarantino film? So I, I, I didn't do a lot of research in this, and I, I'm not huge on the music. I, I don't really know. I, I can't really give you one. Uh, the music in Kill Bill is... Re- now, are you talking about, like, soundtrack or scores? Like, original scores? Well, or like, or well, like, there's only, there's well, only what, one is it, score. Isn't it technically soundtrack with Kill Bill because he's using other people's music? Yeah, I yeah. think every movie he uses other people's other than uh, other than hopefully, and yeah. he has one song in Django. By yes, Neo. yeah, Rick Ross. So yeah, like Ross. Kill Bill, sta- Kill Bill stands out to me. I thought the music was fantastic. Uh, Django again. These are the movies I just watched, but Django's music is really good. And um, so yeah, I don't really have much else to say. I think the the music's great and all those. Pulp Fiction, I believe, has pretty good music too. I haven't seen it in a while, but. Uh, I love the Kill Bill music. I think the Kill Bill music is probably his best. As much as I love the Django soundtrack as well, because yeah. I've listened to the Django and Kill Bill soundtrack multiple times. Like I'll just sit and listen to some of those old Western themes because mm-hmm. they're so epic. Oh, man, I don't know. Those are both on like the same playing field for me. It's Django and Kill Bill because yeah. they're so good. For me, it was the exact same. It came down to Django versus Kill Bill. Yeah. I think if you put both Kill Bills together for soundtracks, that that's would be what I'm saying. One. Yeah, if you put both Kill Bills together versus Django, yeah. they're like on the same level for me. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. As everyone can see, we could continue talking for another 10 hours and appreciate you guys joining us. And, uh, you know, and also for all you single ladies out there, the three of us are taken. We're all married men now. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> 
Please. I know you all got hot and bothered listening to us bitch yeah. about uh, <laughs> death proof or whatever. <laughs> but yes, thank you guys for joining uh, joining once again the viewers cut, and I hope you guys stay safe and uh, can't wait to see you in person again. Remember that you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Anchor and many other options. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram as The Viewers Cut. Bye-bye.